Hello and welcome. Premier League football is back and we are here today to preview all of this weekend's action and the rest of the season. This is the Premier League preview video and podcast with Odds Checker and Who Scored. I am your host, George Ellick, and I am joined by Who Scored, two of Who Scored's finest. They're two of their own, Martin Lawrence and Josh Wright. How are you guys doing? You're right. Yeah, very well. Thanks, George. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. A bit annoyed I didn't put it on a shirt. If I'd known you were going to do that, I think <laughs> Josh and I would have, start, would have smartened yeah. up a little bit. Made an effort. Threw us under the bus, though. I know. <laughs> better, better than your Villa shirt, anyway. That's um, it, yeah. But yeah, great to have you both here to chat through what has happened so far last night. Uh, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be here to uh, just preview the rest of the Premier League season. We're going to be looking at the betting markets around the title race, the top four spots, the relegation battle, and of course, the golden boot race as well. And fingers crossed we'll find some value for you. We're going to Briefly touch on the games we saw last night. We're recording this on Thursday at about midday as well. So we've had the start of football, a drab nil-nil draw and an absolute thumping from Manchester City over Arsenal as well. But a bit of controversy in that nil-nil draw as well, which I'm sure we'll touch upon. Before we get into the football, just want to point everybody in the direction of the Odds Checker app. It's free to download. It collates all the best bookie offers, the best tips, the best odds, and the best free bets as well. So if you've been looking forward to having a few bets on the Premier League, it is absolutely essential to maximise your winnings. Also, if you're not familiar with who scored as well, an absolute, yeah, a vat of, of, uh, of info about Premier League football and European football and even EFL football as well around players, statistics and analysis. It's like the most important companion you can have to your football betting. So important to have those two tools at your disposal. Certainly two things that we've been using uh, when coming up with our bets and our thoughts today. So guys, last night, Premier League football came back. The first game was Aston Villa hosting Sheffield United. It was nil-nil. We didn't get treated to a goal. The second game was a 3-0 victory for Manchester City over Arsenal. Maybe on the face of it, it doesn't look that surprising. What stood out to, to you guys the most? Martin, what, what really stood out to you, having not seen any Premier League football for three months last night? Uh, I think the tempo was actually surprisingly good, I thought, in both games. Even though, the like you say, the Villa, the Villa-Sheffield United game was was pretty drab. I think that's just... The quality on show you'd expect you'd expect you'd expect a bit lesser quality to to restart the campaign so I wasn't surprised by that but the the effort was certainly there um in that game I thought I thought Villa played pretty well I thought they were the better team I don't think there's any arguments in terms of the chances created and and things like that I think Sheffield United probably only had one chance and that wasn't even the the goal that obviously obviously <laughs> should have been that was a cross so uh yeah, I thought the intensity was pretty good. I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I quite liked the, the crowd noise on Sky. I didn't think that was bad at all. Uh, the timing could have been a bit better, but certainly better than the alternative, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I thought that as a viewing sort of spectacle, I didn't think it was too bad. Um, yeah, I thought in terms of the style of play, there, there was certainly, it was certainly a bit more direct than we used to, particularly from the, the Man City-Arsenal game. And whether that's just sort of testing out like match sharpness and awareness of the of the centre backs, but it certainly worked in that game. Uh, you saw a lot more long balls than you would expect, and uh, that was a route in the in the Villa Sheffield United game as well. So 
maybe maybe a hint towards the fact that we could see a bit more Sam Allardyce football. We could see a bit of uh, <laughs> Pep Guardiola change, uh, start taking some lessons from Big Sam or something like that. But doesn't I mean it's interesting that because I noticed that as well, especially in the first kind of fifteen minutes of the City game. But doesn't that go against? what we've seen, especially in, in the Bundesliga, where a lot of the possession was being retained, but in deeper areas, basically, maybe that's a sign of the league. But it seemed to kind of be at odds with what we've, no pun intended, uh, with what we've become to expect from these games behind closed doors with a little bit less atmosphere at the grounds. Yeah, I think I think in terms of the Arsenal City game, obviously Arteta knowing Man City and Guardiola knowing Arteta probably played a part. They probably sort of, Tried to play on each each other's team's weaknesses. That that might have been a, a, an in, impact in that game in particular. Is that is that why Pep made sure that David Luiz had to come off the bench? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that was the the one change that Arteta would have hated to make and had to make. So yeah, uh, another great one for him last night. <laughs> Uh, Josh, which game? Or did you watch either game? Did you? Watch yeah, either? I I tuned into the uh, City game. I'm actually ashamed to say that's the first game I've seen in lockdown. I haven't seen any Bundesliga game live. I watched a Champions League game, the Valencia Atalanta game before lockdown, and I was quite nervous because I didn't enjoy it behind closed doors. But I, like Martin said, I think the stat, like the crowd noise was pretty good. Um, I genuinely thought some City fans had actually broken into the stadium <laughs> at the start of the game. Like I just forgot that there was no fans, which is obviously a good thing. Um, I thought the start of the game was a bit curious and then I thought just before half-time City stepped it up and if Leno wasn't producing those saves it could have been 3-0 before half-time. Obviously the David Luiz gaffes made it quite fun to watch as well. (laughs) Um, I think most people probably expected that from David Luiz after seeing his little clip against Brentford in in Chelsea's friendly. Um, so I don't think that was any surprise what he did. Um, but yeah, I was pleasant, pleasantly surprised by by the return, I've got to be honest. It's, it's interesting you talk about the crowd noise, because I I, when I was watching the Villa game, it, in a way, I felt like halfway through the second half, it went 2-1 Sheffield United, because you had one instance where, I mean, if anyone's living under a rock uh, for the past 24 hours, um, Oliver Norwood put in a cross from wide, and Nyland, the Villa keeper, kind of made a bit of a hash of catching it, um, Keenan Davis kind of rammed into him and the ball was quite clearly over the line and Michael Oliver was pointing at his watch because quite clearly someone had basically just forgotten to turn Hawkeye on um, and it meant that the goal wasn't given despite it clearly being over the line and then you also had two instances in the game one for each side where whoever was choosing to um, what sound effect should happen clearly pressed the goal button when <laughs> it wasn't a goal so you had two instances. One was quite realistic because it was when, I can't remember who it was, a Sheffield United player um, shot into the side netting. I think it might have been Ender Stevens, And it was one of those, it was like, oh, you know, when you <laughs> went yeah. the crowd think. So it was nil-nil um, in reality. Um, I'm going to do a bit of after-timing as well. I wouldn't normally do this, but I actually backed nil-nil before the game at 8-1, to one, which is probably the luckiest winner I have in my life given the ball, <laughs> the ball literally went in. And there is supposedly a foolproof, um, you know, uh, te- technological tool being used to prevent that from happening. So, yeah, very, very um, lucky winner for me there, backing a nil-nil. And they're quite clearly being one goal, but still getting my returns. Uh, just before we move on to the to the markets, um, Josh, is there anything that, that you saw from the games last night that you think, you know, when looking at the games this weekend, when looking at further games for the rest of the season, 
um, you keep in mind, maybe from kind of a gambling and, and stats angle? Um, to, to be honest, it just reaffirmed to me that Arsenal are not going to close the gap on fourth. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, people were suggesting that maybe with the work that Arteta could do during the lockdown. Um, that they wouldn't have a chance of closing the gap, but I honestly don't think that's possible with the players that he's got at the moment. Um, so from that point, you can, I think you can rule them out for sure. Even if fifth is available for Champions League, I don't think they'll get that either. Um, it's a shame that Man City is so far off Liverpool because I think just the way that they can turn up still after three months off, I think they would have pushed them all the way. Um, and also the fact that De Bruyne played so well in patches just also reaffirmed that he's the best player in the league. Yeah, we're going to get on to the best player in the league shortly. I just, I agree with you about Arsenal. I mean, I, there's a, a colleague of ours at Odds Checker who's an Arsenal fan. And I've been saying to him pretty much since Mikel Arteta came in that I'm yet to really see much to suggest that he's much of an improvement on Unai Emery. There have been some very... Uh, scrappy victories. There have been some pretty poor results as well. Um, and there was nothing last night to suggest as much there either. I don't really see that they've improved a great deal since the beginning of the season, if, even if maybe they picked up a fair few wins. Martin, anything to add? Um, not really, but I, I would say like the, the whole five subs and the water breaks. I don't know how long the water breaks are scheduled to go on for, <laughs> but they don't seem overly necessary to me at the moment. Water breaks so, in the rain. Certainly not last night's <laughs> conditions. Um, but yeah, the five subs is obviously having an impact. I, th- I feel like I feel like yesterday, certainly in the Villa game, they were just sort of being made for the sake of it. I don't really think uh, there was much tactically behind them. And I, I personally, I don't think five substitutes is really necessary at this point. Maybe four, but like, even still, I don't, I, I don't see the, the point for it. Um, but yeah, that obviously will impact impact the season in terms of clubs and and their their squad depth in general uh, is going to have a is going to have a big impact so i'm not sure that's particularly fair on certain teams that don't have the wealth of sort of riches and the abundance of talent throughout the entire squad um, but yeah obviously that will that will continue to impact this season Soft tissue expert Martin Lawrence there on, uh, on the five <laughs> subs rule <laughs> uh, let's look at the top end of the table because now uh, all teams have played 29 games after the after the games last night, and Liverpool are still top. <laughs> Liverpool are top on 82 points. They've played 29 games and drawn one and lost one of those, winning 27. Uh, Manchester City are on 60 points, 22 points behind them, uh, and then a few teams below who I think literally cannot win the league. So, start of a 10 here. Uh, it's probably the easiest one you're ever going to get. Is the title race over? I can't really believe I'm even saying it, but yeah, is the title race over? It's on the script. I have to say it. <laughs> it is 100% over. Yeah. Any anything to add? I mean, it's it's one to a thousand. I mean, I think even one bookie a one to a hundred that <laughs> Liverpool win the league. I mean, they're, they're, it's basically like an ISA. It's like a good ISA, isn't it? You just stick a few quid in it and you get your money back. I think Liverpool, like the results they've got this season, the consistency is amazing in terms of results. But like, I wouldn't say they've played like amazing all season. It mm. sounds weird because they're 25 points clear. But I think if you were to compare City's best performances and Liverpool's best performances, I think you'd probably say City have got the better performances more often. Um, but obviously 25 points is all that matters. And the fact that they're clear, they're well-deserved to be champions. 
If I was really mean, this would be I'd give you this is where I'd give your Twitter handle for Liverpool fans watching, but I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> Um, I mean, Martin, let's, given that, you know, we have to just assume, um, correctly so, that Liverpool are not only going to coast to victory, probably the only thing that could stop them would be, you know, a second wave of coronavirus hitting, hitting the UK, realistically. Um, but it's nonetheless a, a massive game for them on Sunday at 7pm, where they go down the road to Goodison. I mean, this is one of those derbies where I think we'll see in some cases matches that would normally be pretty fiery without the fans are going to lose their bite. But you've got to think a Merseyside derby, especially with Everton, you know, able to try and inflict just just Liverpool's second defeat of the season, still going to be fairly lively. Uh, yeah, I think certainly from a sort of mental aspect, it'll be it'll, it'll be lively. Uh, whether the quality will be great, I'm, I'm quite sort of. I think that's up for debate. I don't think games at Goodison between these two teams have been have been great in recent years. Um, so I, I'm not expecting a, like an incredible spectacle. We might see a, another sort of controversial moment like we did with Pickford dropping the ball. Like, it seems, <laughs> seems, seems on topic right now. Um, so, so there might be something like that that separates the game. Um, but yeah, obviously if City hadn't won last night, it would have been a, would have been a huge spectacle and there would have been so so much intensity to that game, I think. But um, from both sides as well, obviously, the last thing Evan want is for Liverpool to win the title at Goodison Park. Um, but yeah, so in a way, it was a shame that, <laughs> that that didn't happen. But at least it sort of prolongs the inevitable. Uh, so, yeah, I, it, sh- it should, be, should be a good game. But uh, I don't expect it to be a classic Merseyside derby, put it that way. What, what have we made so far of Carlo Ancelotti's Everton? Because I'm, yeah, he's another one in my pile of managers that I just can't really have him, and I don't think he's made Everton much better either. <laughs> right, okay, one of the most successful managers of all time. Yeah, but that's that's that is the, that's the narrative, isn't it? Like his yeah. record, his record uh, in domestic leagues, given the clubs he's managed, is like fairly rubbish. And I'm not, you know, this isn't, this isn't me to say this just, uh, you know, I've been called yeah. a few things in the past. And one of them is, you know, desperate for engagement, which is absolutely fine. But if you think he's managed in his career, right, Juventus, Milan, Chelsea, PSG, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich and Napoli. Right? Those are, I think, like seven or eight clubs who will expect to be challenging at the very top end of each division. He's won, uh, as a manager, he's won one Serie A with Milan. He's won one Premier League title with Chelsea. He's won one Ligue 1 with PSG. He didn't win La Liga and he won one Bundesliga. He's won four domestic titles in that time. I mean, I, I'm i not going to go as far as saying I would fancy myself to do that, but I think you could take, <laughs> you could take a few managers out of League 1 and League 2 and I'll pick them myself who would rival that record. Am I talking nonsense here for both of you? I, mean, I don't know. Uh, not nonsense. I think you're. It's quite exaggerated. <laughs> um, I, I get your. I get your point. I, I wouldn't say he's been rubbish, <laughs> to put it that way. But I would. I would agree that he's sort of done what you'd like, what you'd expect at certain teams. Like no, no more than you'd expect um, at certain clubs. I think he, had, he. There's no doubt he had an impact at Everton when he came in, uh, in terms of just shoring them up a little bit, making them just a bit more steady. Um, and I think that's what you get with him. He, he's He's, by all accounts, he's renowned for being a good sort of man manager and not really a sort of disciplinarian. And obviously, maybe that's what they need straight after Duncan Ferguson for a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but yeah, he, he's he's done a good job. I think they tailed off um, pre-lockdown, so it'll be interesting to see how they how they pick up again because uh, they weren't they weren't performing particularly well for the last few games. I think they were hadn't won in the last three, and they got yeah, they... well beaten well beaten by Chelsea. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they pick off. But I think this is a perfect game for them to pick off in terms of coming at it with some real intensity. They've not got anything to play for other than just upsetting their rivals. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. Eight eight to thirty, Liverpool are to win the game, which I think is cracking value. Um, the draw is one hundred to thirty, Everton and nineteen to four. Um, yeah, I mean we're, we're not going to go through it game by game, but given there's not much to talk about Liverpool except for the fact they're going to coast towards the title, uh, might as well touch on that quickly. But it's much more exciting looking at the race for the top four, where we have. City, as I mentioned, are uh, you know pretty much home and host. They might even be mathematically. They're on 60 points in second. Leicester on 53 points. Uh, Chelsea on 48. Uh, Manchester United on 45 and fifth. Sheffield United on 44 after that point last night in sixth. Uh, Wolves in seventh on 43 points. Spurs, 41 points, 29 games as well. And Arsenal, 40 points. I think we're going to draw the line at Arsenal. Should probably draw it above them, to be honest. Is that, I mean, is it those teams, those eight teams into four, or, or are we saying that after last night, Josh, as you mentioned, Arsenal are probably, um, you know, it's worth looking towards next season now? Yeah, I definitely think so in regards to um, Arsenal. I also think that uh, we just assume that fourth is the Champions League place and uh, City get their ban overturned. I think Chelsea, I really think they're going to slip up. Their running's really difficult. They've got, Man City, they've got Man City in their second game back. And they finish with Sheffield United, Liverpool and Wolves in their last four. And assuming that Wolves and Sheffield United still have something to play for and Liverpool are always going to be a tough game, I think they could really slip up, which could be quite problematic for them now they've signed Timo Werner. Not sure that he would have perhaps signed up if he didn't think they would have Champions League football. I wonder if there's a little clause in there. Yeah. But um, so yeah, and I, I think I really think Man United are going to do it. I think they're probably the next best place team. Um, six of their last seven games are against bottom half sides, current bottom half sides. They've got Pogba back. They've got Rashford back. Um, so I think yeah, I think United are best placed to pick Chelsea to fourth. United are currently seventeen to ten. So heavily odds against to finish in the top four. Chelsea currently odds on at four to six. Now talking of managers I don't rate. <sighs> Manchester United, Martin. You know, it, it seems pretty clear that this summer there's going to be a pretty big rebuilding process. Uh, a player very close to my heart and a very player very close to your heart, Jack Grealish, is probably going to be wearing red at Old Trafford next season. But this season, do you think they have what it takes to uh, you know, maintain the good level of form they showed before the break and get into that top four? Yeah, I think they do. Uh, I think, like like Josh says, with the, with the players that are returning, given how well Bruno Fernandes had settled in, I just think they've got they've got something sort of potentially special coming uh, to them. With with Rashford being being so so much improved this season, I think there were there were starting to be some questions about whether he was really that mm. whether he was really that guy who was going to be the next big thing for them up front. And then you remember uh, how old he is. You think yeah, <laughs> yeah. Daniel Rashford, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I think he, I, I think this season has been a, a real, real season of progression for him and, and the, the clearest sign that he is going to be a top, top player. Um, so yeah, I just think they've got, they've got a, a well-balanced team. I think 
that right wing spot is is the weakness. Daniel James is not a Man United player for me, but he, he tries tries very hard, and he's and he's got qualities. He's got and pace. He's very quick. He's very very quick. Um, but technically, well, worth remembering that when you know when he made a bit of a name for himself last January when he was very nearly bought by Leeds. At that stage, he wasn't really getting in the Swansea team. And then eight months later, he's suddenly the next Ryan Giggs on the wing for uh, for Manchester United. It doesn't really yeah. work that way. It, it's, it's obviously harsh because he's, he's still a young player. Of course. Uh, so I don't want to just sort of tear into the guy. Um, but I think in every Man United game I watch, I just think he sort of stands out as just being lacking the quality of those around him. Uh, and he's, he's sort of... His impact in games is so so minimal that like I think he's he's literally there to sort of be a sort of nuisance on the on the break. Mm. And beyond that, in general play, I don't see what he offers. But that that, that wasn't the That wasn't your question. Yeah, <laughs> um, it wasn't. But I've I, I, I made it into Angelotti Arteta and kind of stopped myself doing it. So you're allowed to have a go, Dan James. Yeah. I, th- I think on that topic, in terms of the, the reports that Grealish may well go. I know Josh wrote a piece for us quite recently on how that. I'm just not that sure that makes sense for Man United anymore, um, particularly with Bruno Fernandes arriving. Rashford's done really well on the left. I, I know people will expect him to go back up front uh, eventually, and then Grealish could play on the left. But the suggestions that Grealish would play on the right are pretty ridiculous from a from a Villa fan's perspective. He's he's, he's never played there. It would completely sort of nullify his sort of best traits in terms of drifting in off that left flank, uh, putting him on his right foot on the right wing. You just, you just don't, you don't get a proper Jack Grealish in that way. So that's, that's not how he'd play. Uh, what, about, what, about, what about on the left of the three? Yeah, he could play on the left of the three, but like you say, that would move Rashford forward and then. No, the left, of, the, the left of the sitting three. Oh, of a four, three, three. Yeah. Uh, he can play that role. Obviously. I think that's, ambitious in a midfield alongside Bruno Fernandes yeah. and potentially Paul Pogba, that would be suicide. Um, yeah. So obviously you need, you need a sitting midfielder. Scott McTominay has his merits, but uh, I'm not sure the McTerminator is ready to carry on that much <laughs> responsibility. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I'm sort of 50-50 as to whether he'll go to United or 50-50 as to whether he'll go at all if Villa stay up. Obviously he goes if Villa go down. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, unquestionably. No, no, no. I'm. So, oh, in terms I, of 50, I can't believe you're fifty-fifty. If you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just think uh, in terms of, I just think Manchester United's interest blows seems to blow hot and cold, and to me that's just a bit curious. Like it, it, it spells to me that they're not sure that they want him, and for the money that he would cost, I don't know if they take that that risk. Whether he's the player they need, if they could get Jaden Sancho. They certainly won't get Jack Grealish, in my opinion. Um, I absolutely love the fact, Martin, you're sitting here talking about the possibility of Manchester United being risk-averse with their money. Um, <laughs> that is, you know, I think that might be uh, the claret inside you uh, talking. Yeah. But at £75 million, uh, for a player, like, like I said, if they don't sign, if they don't go for a Sancho or who else, a Havertz or something like that, then then Maybe. Um, but I think it's 50-50 at the moment. And then beyond that, I'm not sure who he, who, he, who signs him for that price. I mean, I'd, I'd love to. I mean, what you said is right. I'd love to see him go to a team, like a possession-hungry team, where he could play on the left-hand side um, of a kind of more sitting three who play a very high line and he could just take up that space between the left-hand side and 
play kind of overlap with a with an inside forward, I guess, in the way that Bernardo Silva often does for City on the right hand side. Um, that's where I'd like to see him. But anyway, we digress. You and I never have a conversation that doesn't somehow end up talking about Jack. <laughs> uh, and I thought he was brilliant last night. To be fair, I mean, in a bad game, he was quite clearly the best player on the pitch, as seems to happen quite regularly. Uh, looking down at the other teams still in the hunt um, for the top four, uh, Wolves are eight to one to finish in the top four. Spurs fourteen to one. Uh, Sheffield United have drifted out to twenty-five to one after last night, as of Arsenal to thirties. Leicester uh, one to six best price. First up, a Leicester home and host. Do we think that they're there? Champions League football next season. I'll let you take that one, Josh. Okay. I think, um, yeah, pro- probably are. I think the break came at a good time. Um, they weren't, well, apart from smashing Villa, sorry, Martin, 4-0 before the break. The results weren't particularly good before that. Um, Vardy had a little niggling injury in that before that game, so he should be well well rested. Um, I think they are probably like there or thereabouts, although they do have some tough games. Um Really tough games, actually. They finish with Man United, Tottenham, Sheffield United in their last three. Um, but I think they are probably just about there. And what about the teams kind of below who are looking to chase them down? Can we see any value in, in those ones? Uh, I like Wolves, personally. I just think they're, they're a very hard team to beat that are capable of beating the teams around them. Uh, I wrote an article for The Guardian earlier in the season that got universally panned by Wolves fans suggesting that they had made a slow start to the season um, which, they, which they had <laughs> um, but my sort of point in that article was that they were sort of relying on late goals too often and they were being outshot by weaker, far weaker teams um, but stylistically that's kind of just continued uh, and I think they've been coached in a way that they come on strong in second halves of games. I think they're arguably, the, possibly with the exception of Liverpool, arguably the fittest team in the league. Uh, and I think that will that will be important in the running. Uh, I think they've got a decent running uh, in terms of fixtures. So if not top four, I know there's a market for top five now, given City's uh, circumstance. So I, I could set, like, easily see them getting that fifth spot. And I think they played Chelsea on the last day of the season. And I think that could, I genuinely think that could be a shootout um, for a European place. Yeah, I I, I think that could be. Um, So, yeah, that's that's my game to watch (laughs) on the last day of the season. Just just, just, We've got a few few to watch between now and then. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Wolves are three to one to finish in the top five uh, and eight to one to finish in the top four. I, I, I was told a stat uh, I think it was before this season, which is quite interesting, saying that if you basically followed every top flight manager in the big five leagues over the last five seasons and had level stakes betting on their team, so you'd follow them, you know, whoever they're managing rather than any other team, Nuno would be the one that you'd win the most money backing, basically suggesting that he, of any manager, he is consistently um, you know, performing above expectations, you have to say, because you know you can... You can clock week in, week out, and that's going to make you a few quid. You're backing it up, you know, two to five shorter, massive odds on. Whereas with Nuno, whether it's this time at Valencia or at Wolves or elsewhere, consistently upsetting the odds. So maybe that's a, a way to analyse um, managers' performances that 
I hadn't heard before, and I'm sure given the, the good start, well, the good campaign they've had so far, that probably still rings true. Uh, quickly, before we move on, we'll touch on Spurs. Spurs are five to one to finish in the top five. Um, they are, uh, I think, fourteen to one to finish in the top four. You know, Jose Mourinho was was caught, um, you know, trying to put his players through some drills during lockdown. Probably in the least surprising story during lockdown. Well, there are quite a few uh, more surprising ones. I must say, I, I wasn't too enamoured by Jose's uh, Spurs team before football finished. Is there any reason to be more positive going into this second half of the or second part of the season? I think um, in, for Mourinho, his, Tottenham have been given some sort of like renewed hope. I think before lock, like heading into lockdown, they were done. I think they were so poor. They were going to miss Kane and Son for the rest of the season. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, they were going to miss Kane and Son for the rest of the season. And I think you could have safely said they would have coasted to the rest of the season. few defeats here, a few wins there. But I think now they've got those key players back. I think they've got renewed hope, especially if they can get a positive result against Mourinho's old club, United, on Friday. I think that could give them some momentum. But I would still be quite surprised if they did get over the line. I'm just not, I think Mourinho's time has, has gone now, or long gone. Martin, do you agree with that? Yeah, I was just waiting for you to weigh in on your overrated managers. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I, I think they I don't think there's a chance for them top four, top five. There's definitely a chance, uh, uh, albeit a faint one. I would say, like you say, the obvious news is Son and Kane returning, which is, to be fair, that's an immeasurable improvement on what they had. Um, but they had nothing. They had Troy Parrott, who nobody knows if he's any good, or at least of all Mourinho. Very, um, very good on football manager. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they, they're, in terms of players that have returned, interestingly, it's interesting that Man United and Tottenham play tomorrow because those are the two teams that have probably had the biggest boosts uh, in terms of fitness. Um, so that, that, that'll be a really interesting game. I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, Just quickly, because you mentioned it, the prices for that game... Um, for those people who haven't looked yet, looking at checker, they're pretty stark. I mean, you've got United away at Spurs. We have no idea how to quantify that that home advantage that Spurs have got. But United are massive favourites here, um, about seven to five to win the game. Spurs is bigger than two to one in a couple of places. The draw, twelve to five. I mean, as someone who basically, you know, football punters, I guess, look at betting two ways. You either back who you think is going to win, or you look at the prices and work out what value is. And I. With Son and Kane being back, with Mourinho being as he is, you know, I'm not a massive fan, but I think if, if I was going to believe that any manager would do well given three months prepare, to prepare for a fixture against their former club, it's probably Jose. Uh, yeah, and, and the players they've got back on their side, that looks like a massive, massive price to me. It definitely wouldn't be unlike Mourinho to ruin a party, so to speak. I mean, that's what he's done pretty much his whole career. And like you said, three months to prepare for a game, you probably wouldn't want any other manager but Mourinho to set up some sort of plan, even if it's all 11 players behind the ball. Um, so it definitely wouldn't surprise me. They did spring an upset, or certainly against the odds, an upset. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Right, that's my tip, I'm afraid to say, guys. Uh, I'm back to Spurs. <laughs> Spurs on Friday night. Uh, that's 8.15 kickoff. Should be an absolute cracker, although... Yeah, maybe not if Jose does part the bus, as you say. Uh, we'll get on to the relegation battle now before looking at a couple of individual player markets. Where do we start with the relegation battle? That's the question. We'll start from the bottom. Um, Norwich are on 21 points and are bottom 
Uh, Villa, 26 after that point last night in 19th. Bournemouth next up, uh, who are going to be without Ryan Fraser uh, as of the 1st of July after he refused to sign a new short-term contract, which has upset a fair few people, it's fair to say, on the south coast. Uh, Watford on the same points above them on goal difference on 27. West Ham, 27 as well in 16th. Then comes Brighton, who are on the slide before football finished. Southampton on 34, who are moving in the other direction. And then I'm going to go to Newcastle on 35, because when you look at that squads and who's in charge, it, it doesn't seem that unlikely that they could pick up very few points between now and the end of the season. Uh, I'm calling it now that Everton and Toth are safe. So 13th down to 20th, where, I mean, start at the bottom as we start at the top. Norwich, are we happy just to cast them aside and say, lads, see you in the Championship next season? I think, yeah, I think that is the case. I think it would be a great shame because Norwich play better football than quite a few of the teams above them. But they've still got to go to go away to Arsenal, Chelsea and City. And you can realistically just chalk off those three as defeats. Although although they're the games they're kind of their best at. Like we, we saw them on opening day against Liverpool really take the game to them. We saw them beat City as well. It seems like almost playing, because the high intensity way that they play, having that space in behind to work with, uh, and the kind of frantic nature of the games and how they play out almost suits them. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, but if you just like just weigh up the two sides, I think you would the odds would reflect that as well. That the, the very the true yeah, yeah. favourites. So yeah. if you think that's that's three games gone, so that means they need at least two wins from six games just to make up the difference to safety. And having only won five of their first twenty nine, I think it's a big ask for them. Big ask. I mean, I'm sure you're wearing again your, your Villa shirt. If you were, you'd be saying the Villa. Sorry, that Norwich are definitely gone. How are you feeling about Villa? Um, a bit different after last night. Uh, I, I would say before last night, not that not that they were outstanding by any means last <laughs> night, but they kept a clean sheet and didn't concede a lot of chances at all, which is very unlike Aston Villa this season. Yeah. Uh, there was there was one sort of error by Courtney Hawes where. Douglas Luiz had to save his bacon. That was horrific. That pass. So bad. So bad. Uh, and that's that's why Villa are where they are. Because for most of games, they, they look okay. And then they just have the propensity to do something absolutely mad. Uh, and, yeah, that's why they, why they are where they are. Um, I think, yeah, the, the fact that they looked a lot more organised yesterday uh, was a big, big positive. Uh, I would have said before that game, I think Villa are done. Uh, certainly on on the way that they were playing before the break, break undoubtedly came at a very, very good time for Aston Villa, just because morale was through the floor, I think. Um, and they've got, they've got John McGinn back, which is a big boost. He was sort of relatively anonymous last night. Looked whilst, a bit rusty, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think Although, was, one, one lovely shot, and that's what he's kind yeah, of... Yeah, what you expect from him in terms of just sort of bombarding around, yeah. uh, putting himself about. But once he gets back fit... That's a, you can't sort of uh, overstate how much of a, a big boost that is for Villa in terms of pro- improving on on the alternative. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sort of uh, definitely not 50-50 on this one. I still think Villa are, um, are rightly favourites to go down alongside Norwich. Um, but I have a little glimmer of hope still okay. within me, basically, yeah. Okay, I so, think also sorry. Yeah, I think no, also it. the um, the performance of Keenan Davis really impressed me last night. Even though he's he's he doesn't score enough goals, I think he offers Villa 
an out ball that Wesley certainly didn't, even though he's a big guy, his hold up play wasn't good. Uh, and I think Keenan Davis could be a could be a surprise player that obviously people don't really know about. It was his first Premier League start um, last night, so I'd uh, I'd expect him to feature sort of on and off with Ali Samata, but he could, he could be an important player. You're forgetting Borja Baston, Martin. How dare you? I am <laughs> deliberately forgetting Borja Baston. <laughs> That's one of the weirdest signings in Premier League history. Um, but yes, yeah, so we're, we're relegating. Norwich and quickly on on Davis as well. I mean, I I don't think that save of Dean Henderson's has got nearly enough credit. It was a remarkable save um, at his near post. The kind of you don't really see them too often, where it was a reflex save from a really well struck shot on the wrong side. Um, you know, the opposite side to the way he was diving. It was, you know, he's he's a keeper to um to really keep an eye on. I mean, just just on in terms of like who scored, um, you know, you have your average ratings and player ratings and stuff. How does how does Henderson's stack? I'm putting you on the spot a bit here, but how does he stack amongst the rest of the Premier League keepers? Because he's certainly impressed with the eye test. I think in terms of um, in terms of goalkeepers, he's relatively middling, which I would say is quite harsh, um, just based on the fact that Sheffield United defend so well as a team. So he's yeah. far less busy than a, than a lot of the keepers around him who have had good seasons. There's there are keepers who have been busy who haven't just been busy if you know I mean they 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 have actually played well uh, yeah, yeah. players like even Leno last night uh I thought he was really really good and has has been very good this season I'd have him down as Arsenal's best player this season even ahead of, of Amiens um and keepers like Dubravka uh Guaita have all played really well this season so uh Henderson is is around uh, around that mix really okay uh, just... oh sorry I would say it's difficult for like you, it's hard to quantify saves, so like yeah. you can't like one save that's outrageous would, is the same as a save that's like comfortable. A save is a save, statistically speaking, anyway. Like yeah. it's difficult to quantify them, so that's probably why Henderson's rating doesn't reflect that. Like he makes a lot of really good saves, but they're maybe like one they're or two in the game. Yeah. What, yeah. I, what I would say, sorry, on that point is uh, kind of watch this space, um, just because. Uh, there's a certain statistic that may be coming soon. Oh, uh, so we'll that is an exclusive. Unbelievable. <laughs> How exciting. <laughs> Can't believe it. Right. Uh, so, okay. We're relegating Norwich. I don't know how we ended up yeah, talking about goalkeeper ratings. Here. We're, we're relegating Norwich. We're not quite relegating Villa yet, but Norwich are 1-9, to nine, Villa are 2-5, to five, and then it really is all to play for, for that third relegation spot. Uh, Bournemouth, as I mentioned, 5-6 to six without arguably their best player West Ham a nine to four Watford a five to two uh worth pointing out that under Nigel Pearson they certainly improved uh Brighton 11 to four managers who I think are very underappreciated Graham Potter one of them but looking like he could be facing relegation in his first season in charge at Brighton uh which will upset me immensely as all the Chris Hutton fans will yeah anyway let's let's not talk about that it angers me too much and then Newcastle at 20 to one Saints, according to the odds, at least, pretty much out of it, the 60 to 1. Martin, where do you think the value is here? I think um, I think Josh has a decent tip on the value, personally. I think uh, in terms of Bournemouth, I think they're, I think Villa are well-placed to leapfrog Bournemouth. Whether they get out is another matter. I think Bournemouth have got a, a tough run in. Obviously, obviously, you say Fraser's gone. I'm not sure that's a, a huge sort of... Well, it is a blow. But it could be worse if it if it had happened last season when he was obviously 
playing far better than he has this season, then obviously it's a different story. But I think there's also the news that David Brooks, I believe, is back. And I think certainly based on sort of their most recent form, I know Brooks has been out for a long time, um, but I think Brooks is potentially a, a better player than Ryan Fraser. Obviously he plays on on the other wing or, or can play in the middle, but he's a, he's a massive boost to sort of offset Fraser's departure for sure. Um, but I think... Personally, I, I think they'll struggle. They're too, they're too inconsistent. Um, I can see a lot of goals, a lot of sort of unnecessary goals in gluts. They tend to, they tend to play in sort of fits and starts. They'll either be terrible for six games, or they might win. They, and then they'll go and win two on the bounce that you don't expect. Yeah, yeah. So they, they're, they're, they're a tough team to predict. But I think they're in trouble. Uh, as I say, I think uh, Josh has a has a good sway towards a sort of value tip for relegation. Come on, then, Josh. Yeah, well, just before I get to that, I'd say like if I was a West Ham fan, I'd be pretty concerned. Um, I think Martin picked out just looking further forward. Martin picked out uh, Wolves Chelsea on the last day of the season, but I think West Ham Villa could be a shootout for relegation on the last day of the season. Um, West Ham open up with Wolves and then back-to-back -back London derbies against Tottenham and Chelsea. They could be in real trouble after those three alone. Um, but for my tip, this might upset you, George, but. Brighton, I would be quite concerned. With, yeah, with I saw I saw this before. I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you, but let's let's hear it. Let's hear let's hear why. I want to hear why. Okay, so it's only two points. It's obviously not a big big lead, um, but they've got Arsenal, Leicester, and United in their first three games. Then they've got Liverpool and City back to back further down the line, and that leaves potentially five four games. Sorry, just to get enough points to survive, and I think. Just looking at those big games that they've got, I think they are pretty good value for the drop, even though it would be a shame for, for Graham Potter's resume. Yeah, I mean, it would be a massive shame, I think, if we you know, if we were to lose from the Premier League, Norwich, Brighton, and let's say, for example, Bournemouth, although Bournemouth's style of football maybe isn't quite as um, easy on the eye as it used to be. Um, but, you know, Graham Potter is a manager who... Uh, you know, it's, I'd say it says a lot that he managed to get this job on the back of a season at Swansea where they finished mid-table because it's all about the process. And I think Brighton have, under Potter, have the potential to be a really exciting Premier League team in, say, two or three seasons' time when the infrastructure that he's building there and the style of play, you know, he's one of those project managers where you can be sure that academy players now age kind of 15 or 16 will be playing a style of football that means they are going to be ready to step up when they come through. So... I have no doubt that um, in the same way that people were quite perplexed by Potter being being appointed and Hutton being sat last season after he kept them up, um, I have a feeling that Tony Bloom, the owner, will see the bigger picture. And I'd, I'd be very surprised if Potter wasn't still there next season, even if they do get relegated. But it's hard to argue with you. At 11-4, um, you know, you're, they're not going to have to drop many points. And those, you know, say they got one or two points from those three games, which wouldn't be a bad effort. That price is going to shorten, isn't it? So, mm -hmm. um, so at eleven to four, I can totally understand that. Newcastle at twenties for a big price backers. Are they, you know, thirty-five points at the moment? Brucey doing a, a pretty good job, but any um, XG nerds like myself will tell you that pretty soon something's going to have to change because um, that they can't continue the way they are. But with thirty-five points at the moment, they don't need many to stay up. Is twenty to one value, or do we think that they've probably done enough? They're safe. Yeah, uh, I think probably what need one win and a couple of draws from nine games to be to be safe. So they they'll get that. Um, 
like you say, in terms of XG, they're not the uh, they're not, not the most appealing team, and and no Steve Bruce <laughs> they're side. Not the darlings. No, they're not. Uh, you you won't get Steve Bruce really sort of endorsing XG. I don't think anytime soon. Um, <laughs> Unless, or it's always the same with these managers. They hate it. They hate it. They hate it. And then as soon as it reverses, and the variance game, goes yeah. the other way. Suddenly they're like, yeah, these stats guys tell me they're we're actually brilliant, and <laughs> yeah. uh, it's all it's unbelievable. Yeah, I just think that they're they're too hard to to beat, as particularly at home. Um, and that's what you get with Steve Bruce. Fair enough. I didn't enjoy watching uh, Aston Villa under Steve Bruce, um, but and I'm not sure how many Newcastle fans enjoy watching Newcastle under Steve Bruce, but he's definitely done, you can't argue that he's not done a good job. Uh, their squad isn't particularly strong, so I'd say in terms of their league position, at least they're actually overachieving. Uh, now that we know uh, sort of how good Joe Ellington uh, <laughs> and players like this are. Good is an uh, interesting word there, I think. Yeah, exactly. Mm. How good or lack, lack thereof uh, in terms of quality. Uh, that was a bizarre signing uh, for the for the price, certainly. Um, but yeah, I think they're safe. I think what Josh says about Brighton is true. I think those all of those games come in their next six fixtures, all those mm. five five games. So you'd be surprised if they aren't in or certainly still very much on the verge of relegation with three games to go and then obviously it's a bit of a crapshoot in terms of how how that pans out so I'd, I'd expect them to be in real trouble with three games to go and their price will have shortened dramatically like you say um, but uh, they don't win enough games basically Brighton that's, that's the issue uh, the football is decent and they're, they're, they're another team that sort of perform above their means I think even against sort of Man City and stuff like that they've played really good football uh, like you say, taking the game to, to better opposition. Uh, so I agree, it would be a real shame um, for for teams like Norwich, uh, Brighton and even Bournemouth or Villa, both their managers sort of want to play. Um, so it would be a real shame if three of those go down, which I think is probably likely. Um, but there's some strong teams uh, coming up. So I think. Indeed there are. That's one for another podcast, I think. Um <laughs> But yeah, yeah. So Brighton eleven to four, as you say, um, worth pointing out that Neil Mope probably has quite a big role to play in their survival. And uh, Brentford in his first season, he was dogged by missed chances, and then in his second season became incredibly clinical. So I don't know if there's anything to that. I don't know if this if this gap is maybe going to bring out that side of him because you know certainly he made a very good start at Brighton, but certainly in the last couple of months before football stopped, he was missing absolute hatfuls. So. Uh, if he can get back to his scoring ways and show the form that saw him get that move, that could make quite a big impact. Um, just five minutes to go. We're just going to do a top goal scorer chat and a player of the year chat. Uh, Jamie Vardy is the favourite to be Premier League top goal scorer. Aubameyang uh, is seven to two. Vardy's two to one. Aguero eleven to two. Salah six to one. And then kind of sixteen to one and bigger the rest of them. Jamie Vardy. Who'd have thought it? At Jamie Vardy and. Uh, and Brennan Rogers, a match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah. Is he is he going to continue the scoring form to get him the golden boot? Yeah, I've I've got Jamie Vardy um, to to get to get it to be honest, just because I think he's the sort of player who will just return from this sort of break with no no sign of change. Really, he's not an athlete in any way, so I don't think sports science really applies to him. Uh, he's, he's, he doesn't really get many muscle injuries. He doesn't have sort of much muscle to to get injuries he's just this wiry red bullet infused rocket 
yeah, who's his pace and his sort of just his work rate, like especially in the sort of immediate return, I think will be really, really problem, even more problematic than it has been for defenders. But I think he's the sort of player who can make a really fast start, and if he does, I think he'll be too far ahead to catch. Um, if I was going to pick a sort of value tip, so to speak, I'd probably go with Mo Salah, uh, just because he's, I'd say him and Harry Kane uh, of those that are left that will play every week, crucially, because that's I think that sort of rules out Aguero. Uh, those two are the players that can score in twos and threes, which is crucial mm. to sort of bridging that gap. So that would that would be my lean in terms of value, would be on Mo Salah. I mean, um, Kane's eight behind, but he has, in the past, gone on these absurd scoring streaks at the end of yeah. seasons when there's nothing to play for, where he just kind of racks up about eight in five games. But yeah. I'm trying to find a price for him. I'm not for sure what he is. He's 250 he to one with, with Bet365. No way. Uh, uh, no, no, he's not. That is incorrect. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's player of the season. Yeah, he's uh, he's 28 to one. Sorry, guys. Sorry for people listening. That's for SpreadX. Um, there are only two places. If you want three places, you've got to go to Betfair Sportsbook with 22s. Um, but yeah, I see I see your kind of line of thinking there and, and it's hard to disagree. Um, on Vardy, I did a a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Gary Taylor Fletcher who was talking about Vardy because they played together at Leicester in that promotion season where Vardy didn't actually do much and they became very good friends and apparently Vardy says that he you know all the sports scientists and all the medical team at Leicester basically say that he is now like right at this moment the fittest he's ever been by like miles <laughs> like, even as like a 26 27 year old compared to now like he is a completely different specimen to what he was then so Anybody concerned that Vardy's gonna, you know, age is gonna catch up with him anytime soon? I think he's one of those players where you just ignore the numbers by his name and you just take what you're seeing at face value. Um, yeah, Josh, do you have anything to add on the on the top goal scorer market? Uh, yeah, I think I have to agree with Martin in terms of Vardy and Salah. I think they're pretty, they're probably there or thereabouts. But if anyone fancies like a a bold outsider tip, then I think we might see something special from Rashford. He's been a hero off the pitch during lockdown um, and now he's back fit um, and it would be a, an amazing story if he would to return for Man United in the, the form that he showed off the pitch um, just he scored so he's five goals back on Vardy mm. he scored five goals in the reverse fixtures against the teams that United have got left to play and the fact that six of their last seven games are against current bottom half teams I think there will be opportunities for Rashford to at least close the gap um, so I think that he could be an outside outside tip to to catch the leaders. So he is, uh, yeah, twenty two to one. The spread X is two places, uh, seventeen to one elsewhere. Marcus Rashford, as you say, have he's had he's had a very good and productive lockdown, much more productive than mine. I thought running four k <laughs> every couple of days was productive, but Marcus Rashford is making sweeping changes, helping children across the country. So. Yeah, fair, fair play to him. And fingers crossed he can he can get in the goals back on the pitch. Uh, PFA Player of the Year is going to be our last topic. Uh, Sergio Mane is two to one favourite. Jordan Henderson three to one. Kevin De Bruyne four to one. Uh, Virgil Van Dijk twelve to one. Trent sixteen to one. Salah twenty five to one. So unsurprisingly dominated by Liverpool players. De Bruyne the only joker in the pack at four to one. I mean, first of all. If, we, if this is based on just the best player, is Kevin De Bruyne a better at fours? Yeah. Uh, simply put, like I think it's if this is an individual award, 
then Kevin De Bruyne being third is ridiculous in the odds. Uh, I think he's in our certainly in our ratings, he streaks ahead of 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 the closest rival. And I think it's so so hard to argue with the fact that he's been the best player in the league from an individual standpoint. I think if you look at the sort of Liverpool players, the reason that they're so far ahead is that they've had six or seven players who could, would feasibly be in with a shout for the Player of the Year award were Kevin De Bruyne not there, in my opinion. Like the six or seven players who've performed outstandingly, whereas City have had one, really, over the course of the entire season. And that sort of, sort of would bring me on to my point about Jordan Henderson, uh, just in terms of on the pitch, in terms of uh, his merits uh, for winning the award. Like for us, certainly, he's, he's nowhere near it. Um, and that's based on the fact that there's, there's always a recency bias in terms of Player of the Year awards. Like the, the players that have performed really well in the run-up to voting or whatever tend to, tend to come in really short prices. And that's certainly been the case for Jordan Henderson. Uh, he's he's our actually our top-rated player in 2020 with more than five appearances. He's our highest-rated player. But if you look to 2019, he was 63rd. Sam in a in a nice sandwich between Dan Byrne and uh, Jan Vertonghen. Uh, so I think I think if you ask the Liverpool fan, say on New Year's Day, is Jordan Henderson anywhere near the Player of the Year? None of them would say yes. I don't think many people would have him in the top 10 or even top 20. So I think uh, his is certainly based on form. Uh, and I understand it. He's the captain of the team that are going to romp to the title. But if we're looking at an individual award, uh, Kevin De Bruyne has been the best player in the league. I don't, and I, I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, I would have Sadio Mane as, as the second favourite. And he's been exceptional. Um, but yeah, that's just my take on it, and it happens to align with who scored the ratings. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if, if, if this award is called the Who Scored Player of the Year Award, I think Kevin De Bruyne would be a massive bet at four to one, but yeah. uh, it's not. And I think we have to say now to anyone listening that you know the narrative around things like it's Liverpool's first Premier League title, they haven't won for seven hundred years, and Jordan Henderson's the captain, like those stuff, those things do carry meaning um, within these awards. Um, you know, you look at sports personality, it happens every year. Um, you know, the voting means that that stuff carries weight. So, Josh, I mean, if, if you were going to have a bet in this market, what, what would you be looking at? I mean, just touching back on Henderson, it'd certainly be a nice story for him. I mean, he was ridiculed for years at while it, during his like, start of his Liverpool career, not being good enough. I think it was Ferguson that said he didn't want to sign Henderson because of the way he ran, which I think carried with his career for a few years. Um, but obviously he's come good, as Martin said. He hit form at the perfect moment for when the votes were due to be cast. I don't know if they still were cast. Um, but yeah, De Bruyne is definitely no question the best player in the league. He's just, I think last night as well in patches, he showed that he was a class above everyone else on the pitch. He did a few odd things like he gave the ball away on the edge of the box, which Arsenal could have scored from. But apart from that, he was class, I thought. Um, if there was a Liverpool player, I would really quite like to see Trent Alexander-Arnold win it. I think what his performances from right back, I think it's just mind-blowing what he's able to do. So, yeah, yeah, Trent would be my pick for that. But I suspect he would probably get young player of the year. Yeah, Trent 16-1, to one, but as you say, probably get young player. I just think that there might still be a bit of value in Virgil van Dijk at 12-1 to one with Betfred. Um, just universally accepted as being, A, one of the best centre-backs in the world, and B, basically the reason 
that Liverpool are able to win a Premier League title and when it comes down to voting, given that Sadio Mane is competing for kind of plaudits alongside Salah and, and Firmino up top and you've got Henderson where despite you know, the narrative that runs alongside, you know, there's still the issues that, as Martin mentioned, of, of the early on in the season and he's not the flashiest player. I think Van Dijk has a massive shout uh, to get it. So that would be where my money would be going. Thank you very much, guys. Um, I feel like I'm now ready to consume all of the football that's going to be thrown at us over the next few days. Um, hopefully a bit of value there as well. For anyone watching or listening, make sure that you subscribe to the Odds Checker uh, YouTube channel, subscribe to the Odds Checker podcast as well. Make sure you download the Odds Checker app. Crucially, make sure that you go to Who Scored. If you've never visited the site before, you are massively missing out. Um, because, as I say, you have every single bit of statistical analysis you could possibly want free at your fingertips uh, across the Premier League or through the EFL and in Europe as well. So fingers crossed there's a bit there to keep you company over the weekend. And thank you very much to both Josh and Martin for joining me today. <laughs>